listening to the Keef to the City podcast. All right, the Yankees took two out of three over the Indians over the weekend to finish the season five and two against the first place Indians, which uh, you know doesn't go so well when you can't even beat the Rays. But uh, the most important event that came from the weekend was A-Rod not uh, only announcing his retirement, but being released in the process by the Yankees in sort of an awkward press conference that took place at the stadium on Sunday. Joining me today to talk Yankees baseball, as always, John Jastrzemski of WFAN and CBS Sports Radio, JJ After Dark. John, how's it going today? Neil, it's been a crazy couple of weeks, my man, between the Yankees actually being in cellars, the end of Mark Teixeira, the end of Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> Got to admit, the last, like, 48, 72 hours, I may have rewatched clips from the 2009 postseason on repeat, like, over and over and over again. I'm not going to lie to you, my man. <laughs> well, it seems like the Yankees are all in on this youth movement. I know that, uh, you know, before the season, the last few years, not just this year, but you always, you know, chirping about, you know, they're going to be so bad this year. It's, you know, and finally it's sort of struck. And even though they're a game over 500, it's not like they've really bottomed out like other teams have in rebuild mode. But the Yankees we've known of, you know, 2012 and before then, um, these last four years have, have been pretty painful. Oh, there's no doubt. And that's why, to me, there's been so much talk, Neil. Like, if you read the columns right around July 31st, this is the end of the Yankee era. No, it's not. Because you think about 2013, the team was out of the playoffs. 2014, the team was out of the playoffs. Last year, yes, they made the playoffs, but they were out in the one-game playoffs. In my mind, the one, as we know it, where the Yankees were pretty much a given year after year after year to win 90-plus games, it ended when me and you were watching in the right field bleachers when Derek Jeter fractured his ankle, game one, championship series against the Detroit Tigers. Since then, this franchise has kind of been muddled in mediocrity. Yes, they haven't bottomed out in the way that the Red Sox have bottomed out or maybe the way the Cubs bottomed out a couple years ago, but the Yankees haven't been a championship-caliber team now in quite some time, and I love Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller was probably one of my favorite Yankees to watch over the last couple years. The hope is they got that King's ransom that puts them in a position where they're championship-caliber once again. Whether or not that's going to be the case, you have no idea. I have no idea. We really have no idea until we see Clint Frazier and we see Sheffield and we see these guys come up through the minor league system. But I know I've been telling you this for weeks, for months, for years. I see these studs all over baseball, young players, Chris Bryant, Nomar Mazzara, this guy, that guy. And I'm wondering, where are these guys with the Yankees? Maybe now we can actually see these sort of players coming up through the system and actually contributing at the big league level. Yeah, and it seems like the Yankees did do the right thing by trading Miller, trading Beltran, trading Chapman. But in in Yankee lane here, it seems like almost every fan, you know, they they have the right to be excited about, you know, the Yankees and building for the future. But at the same time, I think they're like overly optimistic that every player, you know, the eight prospects they got are going to pan out and it just doesn't work like that. So I feel like some people need to, you know, tone it down and take it back a few notches because there's a good chance, you know, maybe just one of these kids ends up being anything. No, it's very true. And that's why if you hit like on 45 or 50% and 50% of these guys end up being really good big leaguers, you're going to be ecstatic because like you just said, prospects, we don't know what we're getting. You're really not going to know until you see them in the big leagues. And that's why I got into a fight with somebody new on the air a couple of days ago who was kind of bellyaching about Clint Frazier and his statistics at AAA. I'm like, you cannot lose sleep 
over 12 triple-A at-bats. Like, I'm sorry. You can't be checking a box score each and every day saying because, oh, he's doing this in triple-A. It, it's a guarantee that that's the way it's going to be in the big leagues. Perfect example, Matt Harvey, if you remember with the Mets, when he was in triple-A, I think he was pitching like a 4-8-5 ERA. Like, he was very disinterested. He wasn't particularly thrilled about the fact he was in triple-A. Now, I'm not saying that's the case for every player, but you can't be one of these guys where you're saying, oh, my God, this guy's not hitting triple-A. What are we going to do? Let it play out. They're going to evaluate their guys. And once they get in the Yankee pinstripes and once they put on a Yankee uniform, we can start judging them and evaluating them and going from there. Well, it started last week uh, after the trade deadline. Then Mark Teixeira announces that he'll retire at the end of the season as if he really had any chance with the way he's played, with the fact that he's old, with the fact that he's always injured. I, I think baseball is retiring from him. He's not really retiring from baseball. Um, and, he, you know, he talks about not wanting to be a distraction as if anyone was really concerned about, you know, his future with the team or his future as a player, you know, within New York. And then you get all these people who, you know, we crush Mark over the years, and I think rightfully so, but now people, whenever someone's career ends, I think people sort of, you know, change the way that, that it went or want to remember it a different way. And it seems like there was a lot of, you know, backlash towards, you know, not only myself, but other anti-Mark Teixeira people talking about how, you know, the guy was so good, you know, for the Yankees and how he was such an easy guy to root for. And I just feel like, you know, <laughs> were people not paying attention for the last four of the seven years he was here? Yeah, I get it. To me, Mark Teixeira is not even as popular a Yankee as Jason Giambi. I enjoyed watching Jason Giambi more. Here's the thing that bothered me about Teixeira. That first year, 2009, he was fantastic. 290 batting average. I think he had 39 home runs, ton of RBIs. And the difference between Giambi and Teixeira, I'll fully admit it's the defense. Teixeira, whether you like the guy or not, was an all-world defensive first baseman. But if you look at the last four years of the contract, he didn't deliver. And even if you look at 2011 and 2012, the batting average went from about 290 and 300 to 240 and 250. So to me, yes, Mark Teixeira may be not the worst Yankee in the world. He still gave you some very productive years with power and RBIs. But essentially, he turned into a glorified Jason Giambi with good defense. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I think people look at the power numbers because the first year you said 09, he finished second MVP, 39 homers, 292. The next year, 33 homers, 256. Then 39 homers, uh, 248. But then after that, the power sort of declined. Um, and then the average went 251, 151, 216, 255, and 200 where we are now. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where everyone's, you know, remembering these great Mark Teixeira years from because it really he had one great year out of seven. And if you want to consider great power years, okay, give him three of the seven. But, you know, there's there's more to, you know, being a $22.5 million first baseman than just hitting some home runs and playing good defense. I feel like uh, if you look back on the Mark Teixeira contract, uh, you know, I wouldn't give it a good grade. No, I wouldn't give it a terrible grade either. I think it's like a B minus C plus. It's not like the Ellsbury contract where you're going to give it a flat out ass where you have not gotten <laughs> one star a year from the guy. But Neil, think about it last year. Last year, the main reason why the Yankees found their way into the playoffs, Teixeira and A-Rod turned back the clock. And I know you're not as, uh, his biggest fan, Mark Tex, but he was terrific for the Yankees last year. How many big home runs did he have? Uh, he was in the middle of everything. And the lineup really spiraled when he went down with that fracture against the Minnesota Twins. This year, A-Rod, Teixeira were flat-out awful. 
A-Rod has been awful. Teixeira has been awful. And, and we can look at Ellsbury, and we can look at Headley, and we can look at Gardner. But the biggest difference in the Yankees last year and the Yankees this year, those two bats in the middle of the order flat out didn't hit. Last year they did. They made the playoffs. This year they didn't, and that's why they're in the position at the ring. There's also this talk with Teixeira about how he helped the Yankees to the 2009 World Series, which another thing I don't know, you know where people are coming up with this from because if you go back to, to the ALDS, okay, he had the walk-off home run in Game 2, which you know scraped the top of the left field wall, which is not a home run in any other park in, in the league. Um, he had you know the home run against Pedro in the, in the World Series against the ghost of Pedro Martinez. And then in 2000, uh, what was that, 2010, he had the big home run against the Twins in the first round. But... You know, we always talk about Nick Swisher and how, we, how, you know, we crushed him over the years and for how bad he was in the postseason. Mark Teixeira is neck and neck as a bad postseason performer as Nick Swisher was. He was not a good playoff performer. I, I can't argue that. But at least, unlike Swisher, he gave you a couple of moments. I'll never remember Mark Teixeira, though, Neil, as one of those guys who had a flair for the dramatic because you're right. Championship Series against Texas 2010, he was awful. 2011, now, the entire lineup in that Detroit series, not named Robbie Cano and not named Jorge Posada, was absolutely downright awful against the Detroit Tigers and Scherzer and Doug Fister, and they couldn't get a big hit to save their lives. Um, and then Teixeira ended up going down. What year was it? I think he went down. It Was it 2012? No, it was 2010 when Burke Yeah, he was, like for, he was right? 0 for 14 against the Rangers, and he tore his hamstring. And then I remember that because Berkman went to play first base, and Teixeira yeah. got hurt, and I said, oh, it's not, it's not the worst. No, I, I, I don't think anyone – I don't think anyone was upset when he had to come out of that series. I mean, he was 0 for 14. Berkman uh, had hit a home run against the Twins Although in the first round. Although trying to watch Lance Berkman play first base in that championship series was a little bit painful. I do remember <laughs> him, like, belly flopping. Uh, I think it was on, like, a pop-up, Neil, and he was, like, running backwards. Yeah. He just fell right on his ass, but I was laughing. <laughs> well, probably wasn't laughing at the time, though, because I was probably sick <laughs> off. Well, with that, with that championship, and, and the thing with Mark Teixeira is that he sort of you know, got a free pass in the sense that he didn't do much. Uh, yeah, certainly he was great in the regular season, but in that postseason he didn't do much. And if it wasn't for A-Rod, you know, this team would be looking at a 16-year drought. Uh, Mark Teixeira would be ridiculed just as bad as A-Rod ever was before 2009 in New York. But he got a free pass because he came here, he won his first year, uh, whether or not he helped it as, as much as people remember. But you look at A-Rod, I mean – this team, you know, we would be looking at a 16-year drought if it wasn't for what he did that postseason with the six home runs, 18 RBIs, big home run off Nathan, the big home run off Fuentes, the big home run off Cole Hamels. Uh, the guy just carried the team single-handedly throughout the postseason. And um, here we are, you know, with him announcing his retirement on Sunday and not, you know, sort of being forced out into retirement. Um, I, I'm against this move only because – the guy is four home runs away from 700. The team isn't going anywhere. You know, giving him at-bats, it doesn't mean anything when you're still giving at-bats to guys like Teixeira who are leaving or someone like McCann or, or Headley who, who don't even belong here. Um, so, you know, that that's a puzzling thing to me in the sense that, you know, in three weeks, rosters expand. So if they're so worried about a roster spot right now for a young kid, I mean, you've, you've waited long enough. You've waited, you know, four years since the Yankees were good to give anyone playing time. So I don't know why now there's so much urgency to, to sort of fill the 25, 25th man on the roster. But uh, I, I don't get why they're just, just let A-Rod finish the season and, and try for 700, at least give fans something to watch other than, you know, Gary Sanchez's three at-bats per game. I get what you're saying, Neil, but to me, I'm not one of those guys who's all wrapped up in A-Rod getting 700 or not. Like, I, I don't look at A-Rod getting 700 as a reason to come to the ballpark. I think your point, by the way, 
is so spot on about 2009. It is not even debatable, by the way. The Yankees do not have their 27 championship if it wasn't for Alexander Emmanuel Rodriguez. And I kind of knew this move was coming. You could tell when they're announcing a press conference Saturday night that involves A-Rod, Cashman, Girardi. You know that the writing's on the wall. So I started getting into this during the overnight show as far as like the legacy of Alex Rodriguez as a Yankee because I think it's one of those things where it's just so complex because you remember him coming over in 2004. There's all this spotlight. He's this million-dollar guy. He doesn't go to the Boston Red Sox. He has this fractured relationship, which everybody could see with Derek Jeter. And that was one thing. I think a lot of Yankee fans were hesitant to warm up to A-Rod because they always were so loyal to Jeter. And they always defended Jeter in that argument at shortstop, whether it was A-Rod, Garcia, Parra, uh, Tejada. Like, Jeter was always your guy. You were always going to stick up for Derek Jeter. And now that Alex Rodriguez was on your team, it was like, oh, geez, now we got this guy playing third base. These guys used to be buddies. Now they're really not buddy-buddy, even though they're trying to fake it. And the thing I remember originally about A-Rod, Neil, fair or unfair, his inability in the big spot to get it done. Now, he gets unfairly blamed, in my opinion, for 2004. And I think you would agree, right? 2004. Oh, yeah, definitely. They had no pitching. To blame A-Rod is absolutely absurd. The guy hit great in games one, two, and three of that series. In fact, I think he hit a home run in game number four. The Yankees ended up losing that series because they couldn't pitch. And, hey, I love the guy. He's the greatest closer of all time. Mariano didn't get it done in game four. Tom Gordon didn't get it done in game five. And they played poorly in game six and game seven. Now, this is where you got to get on A-Rod here. 2005, 2006, the guy flat out spunk in the playoffs. Like, if you're going to be this megastar, you got to perform. Like, I'll never forget slamming a remote, almost punching a wall in game five. The, the double play? Series against the Angels. <laughs> yeah, when A-Rod and Jeter are running in from the dugout, and you could tell that those guys at the time really couldn't stand each other. And I think it was much more Jeter, sick and tired of A-Rod. He kind of gave him the let's effing go speech, like at the top of the ninth inning. And sure enough, Jeter leads off with a single against Frankie Rodriguez. And I'm watching him saying, hey, Rod, if you're going to just get out, please just strike out. Do not ground <laughs> on a double, double play. play. And boom, it's five, four, three, double play. And you're like, oh, like but- you want to pull your hair out. And then you have 2006. And 2006 to me is like one of the low points for A-Rod as a Yankee. I love getting into this deal because – even talking about these downtimes, you're talking about meaningful baseball, so it brings me back to like the nostalgia and whatnot. <laughs> 2006, you thought they were going to win the World Series. They were the best team in the American League. They had this ridiculous lineup. They trade for Bobby Abreu. Sheffield comes back. Johnny Damon. Jeter should have been the MVP that year, but yet A-Rod couldn't hit at all. He started off the postseason batting six. You remember this game, I do, Neil? It was a regular season game against the Orioles, a day game. Do you remember that pop-up drop in between A-Rod and Jeter? Oh, yeah. I, I, and they, were, they had, like, that look where, like, Jeter wanted to absolutely, like, strangle him. Like, are you serious? Like, what is your deal, man? And then Torrey drops him the eighth in the order, which probably was a mistake. But they were just trying anything at that point to try and get the lineup going. So I could go on and on about these failures, but that was, like, the original legacy of A-Rod – and then 2009, the steroid admission, kind of wiping the slate clean by having that 2009 postseason. I don't know about you. It erased a lot of those foul memories that we have of A-Rod 
failing to be able to get it done. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think when you talk about that 05 series against the Angels, what was even more devastating after the A-Rod double play was uh, they threatened after that because Giambi got si- single, the Sheffield singled, and then the Matsui came up as you know the potential go-ahead run. But uh, had he not into that double play, maybe that inning turns out differently. And certainly the Tigers series was a, was a disaster. And even the Indian series, I mean... In 07, he played a little better. He hit his first home run since, you know, the ALCS in 04, but he was still bad then, too, and then they don't make it in 08. Um, and, and really, 09, I, I mean, that's the only one that sticks out, and granted, it was, you know, a historical postseason. Um, but then in, in 10, he didn't play well. 11, he didn't play well. 12, no one played well. Um, so really, out of all the years, you know, since 04 till now, it, it really was only 09 that stuck out. It's sort of like he made up for all the other bad series. I, I guess outside of the Minnesota Division Series in 04, which he, he sort of single-handedly stole the last two games of that series. But outside of that in 09, I mean, it, it was pretty bleak. And, you know, thankfully he had 09. Otherwise, the way people... Well, that's at what I'm saying, Neil. Could you imagine with all this stuff going around with, when you're talking about Alex Rodriguez, the steroids, the embarrassment, the shame... If he didn't have 2009, yeah. this guy would be vilified so much in this town. It would be out of control because at least me and you can look back on the A-Rod tenure and say, well, there was 09. And you can never forget about 09 because it was a postseason run for the ages. If he didn't have that, what in the world are we saying about Alex Rodriguez as he walks away here on Friday? Yeah, it's crazy. And you think about like when they won the World Series in 78. Certainly neither of us were born yet. but And then they don't win till 96. You know, an 18-year period, which in for Yankees fans is an eternity. You know, if they don't win in 09, we're at 16 right now. You know, we're almost coming up on that same drought in terms of years, but instead it will just be a seven-year drought because this team's not going anywhere. So even seven feels like, I mean, 09 at this point, that, that was a long time ago. It most certainly was. Think about the 09 team. Now that Teixeira is retiring, Alex Rodriguez, whether he plays in another uniform or not, I have my doubts, but let's just say he's retiring the only guys left from that 0-9 team, Neil, Brett Gardner, you wonder how long he's going to be a Yankee, and C.C. Sabathia, who's going to be gone after 2017. So that core of that 2009 World Championship team is long gone, and it really does make you appreciate what the Yankees had that season. Like, think about that lineup. You had A-Rod, you had Teixeira, you had Cheater, you had Johnny Damon, you had Hideki Matsui, you had Ore Posada, um, you had Cano. Bobby Cano. Nick's, say what you want about Swisher, is an eight-hitter who was hitting 250, 20 home runs. He was an eight-hitter. And you had Brett Garner or Melky Cabrera. That is an unbelievable offensive team. Yeah, and they had the pitching to go with it because I remember they had so many off days in October that they were able to just use the three-man rotation. And Mike Sosha, you know, complained about the fact that MLB was giving them all these off days because they could just keep going back, you know, run back CC Burnett, pet it every time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that that does feel like a long, long time ago now, seven years, uh, you know, granted in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long, but um, when you think about, you know, they haven't even been in, a, in an actual postseason series in four years, in 2012 against the Tigers was their last one because of last year's one and done. Um, it's been a while, and, and with A-Rod going and Teixeira going, you know, if they're going to do this youth movement, I, I need to see more than Gary Sanchez. I need to see, you know, Brian McCann, they talked about sending away and paying off some of his money. Um, that he cleared waivers as a chance he could get moved. I, I feel like he has to get moved. That was a dumb contract from the get-go um, because they, they were so deep at catcher, there was no need to give that guy a five-year deal and block everyone. I feel like Headley's the same thing. You're going to eat $26 million on A-Rod. That's exactly what Headley's owed for the next two years. Unfortunately, Ellsbury's 
four years from now, we'll probably still be talking about him as a Yankee. But and also, oh my god, and, don't and, get me started with the Elfberg. <laughs> and, 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 and also it's Gardner in that started. mix. I feel like McCann, Headley, Gardner are three guys that you know they could easily clear waivers here, maybe get moved. Uh, you know, as a post-deadline August move or maybe in the offseason. But if you're going to do this youth thing, just do it full tilt. I don't want to see, you know, one or two kids uh, incorporated in the lineup. I, I want to see, like, complete turnover here and, and let's start from scratch because what they've no, done I don't the last four years that, Neil. And I think you'll find that I definitely think by next year, Brett Gardner and Brian McCann are off this team. I, I don't know if they could find anything of value for Gardner. He's not been very good this year. He's been, well, pedestrian. He knows very been very pedestrian. McCann, somebody will find a taker. They'll find a taker for Brian McCann. Like, even though he's been a disappointment, I would agree with you in a Yankee uniform, it's still tough to find catchers who hit 25-plus home runs. And that's the thing with McCann. Like, I liked the contract at the time. So that's where we, I think, disagree a little bit on that. I know they were deep at that position, but, like, he always, to me, was a guy who was a gamer. He was a guy who brought leadership and toughness to the clubhouse. And I thought his swing would be tailor-made for Yankee Stadium. It has been. The problem is when Brian McCain goes on the road, he can't hit. And he's just insanely streaky. He goes on like two or three week tears where he's hitting 350 and he hits seven home runs. And, and then you'll see him for another two or three weeks now and he's like three for like his last 52. That's not going to get it done. You need more consistency for the amount of money you pay him. Yeah, I feel like everyone on this team is like that. Gardner and Ellsbury, they're always hot and cold together. And when they're hot, you know, they're they're 18 for, for, you know, 32. But when they're cold, they're uh, uh, combined over 30 or something. And McCann's just like that. And it seems like there's nobody on, on this team. There hasn't been anyone on this team since Cano that puts up any sort of consistency uh, with, you know, either average or getting on base. And, and it's just, you know, we have there's too many streaky guys in this team. And they, all their streaks seem to run together. Very true. And that's why the hope is, come next year, you find not only players who can perform, but they'll give you consistent offensive outputs. And I'm interested to see what happens at first base. You've got to think Bird's going to be the guy. I know Tyler Austin's played great in the minor league, but Bird was so good last year. If he's healthy, he's got to be the guy at first. And I don't know about you, I've liked what I've seen from Gary Sanchez. I know it's a small sample size. Oh, yeah, I, I like his I. swing. I, I like his swing. It looks like he's got legitimate pop. There's never been a question about his ability to hit. It's always been about his catching ability. Um, it's been about his attitude. His arm, dude, he's got a hose behind the plate. Like, I, he made a throw the other day against Cleveland where I was like, my goodness, like, that, 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 that's unbelievable. Like, I want to see more of this guy. And I hope that with A-Rod going now, we're going to see Aaron Judge. That's the guy I want to see by September 1st. Enough of Aaron Hicks. You know what Aaron Hicks is. He's a quadruple-A player. He's not an everyday player. Let me see more of these guys that are the highly touted ones, and hopefully they're in the everyday lineup come next year. Well, with the rotation, I was hoping that a couple more spots would, uh, you know, sort of empty themselves with Nova getting traded. I was hoping Evaldi would have got moved because I've been there. I've been anti Nathan Evaldi since the day they traded for him. Loved, it was a terrible. Hey, yeah, listen, loved yeah, Prado. Prado, Prado fit that team so well, and now you're stuck with Evaldi, who granted he was 16 and four last year, but when you're, you know, he's going five innings, three or three earned or four in every game. So he was just a product of run support. But I was hoping that they could get rid of Rivaldi and Nova and put both Severino and both Green into the rotation and give them, you know, two, two plus months of actually being in a major league rotation. And now really only one of them is getting a chance. So you look at the rotation next year. I mean, CC's coming back. 
unless something crazy happens with his left shoulder in the next week or so. Tanaka will be here. Uh, it seems like both Pineda and Avaldi will be here, and then that leaves, I guess, Severino. So not much is changing on the pitching side when you think, uh, given the pr- production from this uh, rotation outside of Tanaka, something should probably change. I don't disagree with that, but look at the free agent market. It's terrible. Steven Strasburg signed a big deal with the Washington Nationals. Uh, I think Rich Hill, for goodness sakes, is like the best free agent pitcher. <laughs> they got to do a better job of finding guys. But I'm hopeful that Severino can rediscover the magic of last year. He was terrific the other night coming in out of the bullpen against the Mets. I think he's starting Tuesday or Wednesday against the Red Sox. That is not an easy place to pitch. That is not an easy lineup to go against. But let me see if we see that Luis Severino from last year. They need him, Neil. You think about going into the season, we thought Severino was going to be a given at the top of the rotation. We thought he was going to really flourish into that sort of guy. It was a train wreck for him. He deserved to be sent down in the minor leagues. He probably should have been called up a couple of weeks ago. But now he's back here. Now he's back in the rotation. Now he's got to get his act in gear. Yeah, I agree. And I think at this point, though, if he has a bad start in Boston against that lineup, or if they leave him in the rotation two starts and he does poorly, just let him. He needs to be in the rotation for the end of the season because, you know, this No, I agree six with that. Up, let him, let's see what he can do over the next two months. And that's the difference between he and Green. He's got a higher ceiling than Green. He was your number one pitching prospect in the system. Let me see him get the starts. This is not a team that's going anywhere. Let him get the starts, for goodness sakes. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, that in the past, certainly that's been the issue when the Yankees were, you know, the era we talked about before when they were in contention every year. They couldn't afford to give kids, uh, you know, who are inconsistent a chance to play it out. But at this point, you know, they've given up on the season outside of Joe Girardi still talking yesterday about uh, that they're six games out of the wild card. Um, and, you know, it's time to, to let kids, you know, fail. And if they're going to fail, let's do it this season before, you know, you turn over a new leaf next year and clean slate uh, because you don't want to be working these kinks out again in April and May next year. Oh, for sure. And, Neil, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here with this team in the offseason because you, you look at the free agent market, it's not great with offensive players. I don't think they're going to be a player for somebody like Bautista and Encarnacion. Like, to me, that would be the Yankees repeating the mistakes of 2014 and some of the bad contracts that they've given out here. Like, I'm sick and tired of seeing 35, 36, 37-year-olds. Um, but what do they do to improve this team? Do they bring back a role to Chapman? Do they make a run at Jansen? Like, those are the only moves I could see them making here. Like, I, I don't know about you. Do you see them making a big move for a free agent? Because I don't. The only free agent I think I, – well, here's the thing. is Ownership, it took them to the very last second to decide to sell with this team. It took them getting swept by the Rays for them to realize that this team is not a postseason team. And even if they did somehow magically, miraculously, you know, miraculously make the one-game playoff, they were never going to go anywhere. So it took them that long to decide that. They're going to be concerned about ticket sales. They're still concerned about it for the rest of this year. I think they go out and throw a ton of money to bring Aroldis Chapman back. Which is fun. I'd have no problem with that because he was good with the Yankees. It makes your bullpen that much better. And let me say this, Clippard and Warren, I like both of those guys. Now, they're not Andrew Miller. They're not a role this Chapman. But I always liked Tyler Clippard for whatever the reason. And Adam Warren, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it didn't work out with the Cubs. That Castro trade, and Castro has his issues. His on base is a problem. He fits into that mold like we were talking about of a guy who's very, very streaky. But to make that trade with the Cubs, you get Warren back. I like Warren. He serves the role with this team. You get Chapman back in the fold here, your bullpen becomes that much better. Oh, I agree. And I think uh, 
you know, when you talk about the back end of the bullpen and losing Miller, who we, you know, talked about was really one of the only bright spots and one of the only people to watch. But with Clifford, I mean, that's another <laughs> cash remove back in the day, Jonathan Alba Ledejo for Tyler Clifford, which certainly backfired. And when it comes to Cashman in, in all this, you know, he's been around now since the mid-80s when he started with this franchise as an intern, uh, became the assistant GM, now he's been the GM for 18 years. And everyone's talking about what a great job he's done to, you know, turn these remaining assets into prospects and sort of rebuild for the future. But, you know, no one's talking about the fact that the reason they're in this position is because of the moves he made. I can't argue that. I really can't. Like, I I look at the situation and say, yeah, he did a great job at the deadline. And I don't know if you were thinking this deal, because I certainly was. I said, Brian Cashin's a much better seller than he ever was buyer or he ever was when it comes (laughs) to the winner and handing out contracts. See, Cashman's always been good, actually. Let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. He's always been pretty good at the deadline when it comes to getting you a piece here, a piece there. The bigger problem for the Yankees is what they've done in the winter when it comes to the bigger contracts. Although, we both are on record of saying we wanted Robbie Cano back. I don't think it was a Brian Cashman move to let Robbie Cano go. Like, you would agree, right? That was totally ownership. Like, I think ownership after the A-Rod contract, they did not want to give a guy a 10-year deal. Even though they gave Ellsbury seven even though it was a monumental mistake, I think that came down from ownership. I think ownership said to Cashman, you're giving this guy seven years, that's the way it's going to be, you're not giving him a 10-year contract. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think that he set the price, though. Like, I don't think it was just them being like, we're not going to go over 175 or whatever the reported final number was, because if it's true that that Cano really would have stayed for 200 and they wouldn't go over 175, but then they turn around and give Ellsbury 153 over 7, uh, you know, just in the, in, the, in the ratio of player to contract there, I mean, that's insane. And, and the fact that they, they, they've always done this, though. They did it, you know, they did it with Jeter. They, they did it with Pettit when he left. They've always undervalued their own guys and gone out and paid other, other teams' players more. And it just, it, it never works out. And it didn't work out in this sense. And now they're screwed with... Ellsbury, who, like we said earlier, four years from now, we're going to be talking about his his Yankee days coming to a near end. He'll be two months away from. Can you imagine what we will be saying in about four years, talking about the end of Jacoby Ellsbury? I mean, we're already saying now he's he's horrible. We're killing Teixeira. At least Teixeira had 09. At least he had a couple of moments. What moment is Jacoby Ellsbury ever, ever, ever going to have with the New York Yankees that means something? Yeah, and and what's crazy about that is that. I don't think anyone was bidding on Ellsbury. They didn't like when Teixeira, when they signed Teixeira like right before Christmas in '08. You know the Red Sox. He was it was like almost a done deal that he was going to Boston. Everyone just assumed it, and they came out of nowhere and you know went higher and they got him. But no one was talking about Ellsbury. I mean, the Red Sox reportedly didn't even give him an offer, and there's no one else that was like, "Oh, we're going to give you you know 140 over seven, And the Yankees had to go over. And you know, not only did they not have to do that, but they didn't need him. I don't get why they wanted him. You know, he had one really good season in his entire career that would have ever, you know, had he had a career of that one year where he had 31 home runs, you know, then maybe his contract would have made sense. But for a guy who usually hits like nine or 10 home runs, who's, you know, stolen bases is down drastically, who can't throw to save his life, his his center field skills are, are certainly shaky at this point. Um, He's playing it, a bad it's center bad. field. Issue. You're so right about that. And you've tweeted about it, and I give you credit. Uh, I, how many games have you watched Jacoby Ellsbury in the outfield? And you're like, dude, what in the world are you doing? Like, you're <laughs> supposed to be like a gold glove caliber center fielder. What in the world is that? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I, I don't know what the Yankees are doing with this guy over the next couple of years. I, I really don't. And you are going to look at this contract as one of the worst contracts in the history of Major League Baseball. And I think, Neil, not to justify their logic, because I didn't like the move at the time. 
I'm on record as saying I didn't like the move at the time. I think they thought Ellsbury coming to Yankee Stadium was going to see the uptick in power in the way that Johnny Damon saw the uptick in power. You remember Damon was a guy that hit 10, 15. I know he hit like 20 home runs with the Red Sox in 2004, but that was a bit of an anomaly. He comes to the Yankees. Damon became a guy who was hitting 20, 25 home runs with consistency. I think they thought they were going to get that with Ellsbury, and it just shows you that Johnny Damon, much different animal than Jacoby Ellsbury, and I loved it. Damon, you talk about a guy who I wasn't in love with when they got him, but, man, he was a terrific Yankee. And when you watched him every day, you really got an appreciation for him. You don't feel the same way about Ellsbury. Ugh. Yeah, and I think the biggest difference is that Damon, you know, not only was his production better, he was a better player. He played through injuries. He played every single day. Ellsbury, you know, you look at the guy the wrong way, and he's out for three days. Yeah, and Damon had balls. That's really the best way to put it. You could tell he was a gutsy, ballsy player who was leaving it all out there. And that's why I, I even remember him with the Red Sox. Yeah, I was like, we brought in this idiot with the beard and the hair. But you respected Johnny Damon. Ellsbury, it's a flake. And it's one thing when the Red Sox decide to let Johnny Damon go and ended up being a mistake. They made the right call with seven years of Jacoby Ellsbury. <laughs> well, it's certainly been, uh, you know, not the greatest summer of our lifetime as Yankees fans. Uh, you know, two months still here to go. But at least for you, at least for me, uh, you know, we don't usually say this often, but f- football's around the corner. And I'm never one to, you know, want fall or want the summer to end because, it's, you know, it's the best. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to be unhappy as I have been in the past when Labor Day comes. Neil, get me to September 11th, Sunday at 1 o'clock. The three (laughs) screens are going. I don't have to pay any attention to the Yankees in their game against the Rays. Like, that would be the one negative of football starting, like, if the Yankees were playing meaningful games. Like, yeah, yeah, like it has been the past few years. I would have it on, like, the smallest screen imaginable. But, of course, football would be get my attention it's 16 or 17 Sundays 16 games for your respective team so you treat each and every one of those Sundays like it's religion because each game has that much more significance but like this year September Yankee games talk about being mentally checked out I will be as mentally checked out as can be (laughs) all right John well thanks for coming on it's it's always good to catch up uh we'll have to talk again you know as we head towards football season and your Dolphins get ready and uh hopefully you know the Yankees do 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 the right thing and we see some more kids over the next few weeks Neil always a pleasure and yes I'm sure we'll be talking some football during the fall and it can't get here soon enough all right thanks again John all right bro my pleasure you still there yeah, bro, that was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks. I'll uh, I'll let I'll send you the link when it goes up. Perfect. When you put it up, I'll retweet it. And we'll go from there. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right, later, Keith. See you. Be good, man. Bye, bye, bye.